This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to a bonus episode. This is my lessons learned from starting a new pen name. You guys know that I love, love doing these lessons learned episodes, but they are quite the undertaking, uh, and so I don't do them too often. I always do my annual uh, lessons learned from being full-time. And yeah, so this is my lessons learned from starting a new pen name. For those of you who are here to just hear the numbers and hear the pre-order figures and uh, that data, you're going to have to wait to the end or skip through the whole episode because I'm not going to give you that until the end. One, because it's the day before launch and I will record that on launch day when I know what the pre-order, the final pre-order numbers were. Uh, but two, because, hey, you've got to listen to the episode first. <laughs> or not, you can just skip forward, whatever. Let me tell you you might wanna hit pause and go and get a cuppa because this is not short and it's very detailed. And so whilst I have recorded it, I, I started by writing this up. If you, if you find that it gets to be a bit much, there are written notes. Uh, I literally have almost basically written myself a script. So you can see that uh, on my website, sashablack.co.uk and go to the blog, uh, or you can look in the show notes. So hopefully uh, you will be able to get all of the notes and all of the links. Anything that I mention should be linked in the show notes. Okay, and if you don't know why I'm doing this, this is because I launched a new pen name, which is Ruby Row, and I launched the first book, A Game of Hearts and Heists, which is a spicy sapphic fantasy romance. And I launched that on the 10th of February, uh, 2023. And the entire way through uh, writing this book and going down this journey, I always said that I would share everything that I did and everything that I learned. And so that is what I am doing. Originally, I wasn't going to have the pen name open, but obviously that changed over the time. So what was my goal? My goal with this pen name was to create a financially sustainable fiction pen name that gives me the opportunity to have fun writing and also create books that are like can't put down, hangover inducing, whilst ensuring that, you know, like I said, they're financially sustainable. And for me, that means they bring income in. My sub goal was to surpass 33 pre-orders and to give out over 100 um, ARCs, uh, which is advanced reader copy. And overall, I wanted to keep production costs as low as humanly possible because ultimately this was an experiment and I had like no fucking idea if it was even going to fly. So those were my goals. Why did I do this? Okay, originally I wanted Ruby to be a secret name. I think you guys will know if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time. For probably a year, I talked about the fact that I was journeying in a slightly different direction. Um, and some of you guessed, so, well, some of you got close to guessing, but didn't quite guess exactly what I was up to. But I did uh, kind of enjoy, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> being a bit of a dick over it and having the secret. But I only enjoyed that right up until the moment that I finished writing. I wanted the writing to be completely free of judgment so that I could just write what I wanted to. What I later learned or later realized is that 
I actually didn't give a toss about the book being secret. What I needed was to give myself permission to just write the fucking thing that I wanted to write. And so it was actually the creation bit that I needed to have as secret. And I think it was just because it was new. Now I've done it, I don't care. Um, And anybody can know, you know, ultimately what this was, was self-judgment. That was the issue. And I think you probably, if you have followed the Black Heron episodes, or you've heard me talk about the journey that I went on, kind of understanding that I didn't really love myself, that that was all wrapped up in this. And so as I was having that epiphany in the strengths coaching, I kind of realized that actually I didn't need to keep this a secret anymore. Uh, Once I'd finished writing the book, I was so completely disconnected from the creativity that I just see the books then as products. They then become part of my business. And so that's a much easier place to be in to not keep things secret. Another reason that I wanted a pen name, because arguably my nonfiction is adult as well, right? So I did have the option of sliding it under Sasha Black and you know, just having um, all of that together. But the problem with that is Sasha Black is a nonfiction brand. It is like, even though, yes, I've got a YA series out there, it is a nonfiction brand. And I knew because I've had this problem with with the fiction, the, the young adult fiction, that if I put brand new fiction under Sasha, those books would get populated with nonfiction also brought, and I didn't want that. So I decided a new pen name uh, would be important, especially because I may continue writing young adult as Sasha. Um, so it just felt like the right time to have a separate name. And the other... The other reason is because, call me a masochist masochist if you like, but I kind of wanted to see if I could start again. I kind of wanted that experiment to see what it would be like to, to, to be brand new again in 2023 and to see if I could create a successful fiction series because I'll be honest, my first series was not successful. I did not write to market. I just wrote the most original creative thing I could. And, you know, ultimately I was learning how to write whilst I wrote that series. And so... Whilst I absolutely adore it, I love the creativity in that series, I love the world, it feels like going home every time I reread it, um, it, it obviously is a very small niche audience who, who enjoys it, and that's completely fine. I, I have very much come to love and adore that series for what it is, but what I wanted to do this time was to find the best of both worlds, find a genre that I wanted to write in and that made me happy and that was fun and that I could, you know, find joy in, but that also had hungry readers. And I think that's like the the, the holy grail, isn't it? For any author, find a, a market that you can satisfy that also satisfies you that has hungry readers. The biggest mindset shifts for me were that I was no longer looking at what I was writing just from the point of view of art. Yes, my goal was fun, um, but I also wanted to make money. I wanted to write the most fun thing whilst delivering it into a market that did have potential to sell um, and that I knew I could deliver what the readers wanted. I, I wanted to be able to do that, which meant I needed to find out uh, what they wanted. The other mindset shift that I had was that I came to this as an experiment. This whole thing was an experiment, which meant I was very committed to the experiment, but I wasn't committed to, like, I didn't, 
my whole heart wasn't invested on the outcome of this anymore. And that's very different. Like, did I desperately want this to work so that I could continue writing in this fun genre? Oh, a million percent yes. But I knew I couldn't control the outcome. And that's so different because when I wrote the first series, the, the young adult series, I poured everything into it and it meant so much. And that just meant I couldn't like extract myself out from it to be objective enough. So this time it was different. I went in with an open experiment knowing that I wouldn't make any decisions about my future or what I would be writing after this until I saw hard data. It is such a easy thing to say and a very hard thing to do mindset wise. But that thanks to Ellie and Becca and all of the coaches, that is what the, the mindset that I came in with. So the, one of the biggest things that I learned is that <laughs> I definitely underestimated how much time everything takes when you're brand new. Starting again takes a really fucking long time. I ended up spending a, 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 well, to be honest, an obscene amount of hours working in the evenings just to keep up. And realistically, this contributed to me spending most of January sick as a dog because I just burned the candle way too hard for too long. Um, I was genuinely working until like 11 o'clock at night for months on this. Um, the things that took me the longest were the mailing list and the website setup. So God fucking forbid I ever do this experiment again, I will absolutely factor in more time to, to deal with that. Okay, so let's go into this. What did I do? The first thing I did was prepare. How did I do that? One of the first things I always do is I buy and read a Kalytics report. And this one was on fantasy romance. Alex Newton is incredible. I love what he does. Um, and I love Kalytics reports. Obviously, as somebody with high competition, it's packed full of competition data, essentially. But it's more so much more than that. It has um, information on tropes, page length, um, uh, pricing points, uh, blurbs, all the authors who are doing well in the genre. So, so, so much data. So I always buy and read a uh, report and I brought the fantasy romance one. The next thing I did, and to be honest, you're probably not going to like all of this preparation. I know lots of you are very resistant to doing some of these tasks, but hey, I'm just gonna tell you what I did. So I then spent a considerable amount of time on Amazon, and it was only Amazon this time. All of my books are wide, uh, but I decided I was going to write for Kindle Unlimited this time. This was the experiment. I don't have any books in KU, and I, you know, just as much as going wide is a a um, diversification. If you're already wide, having a series in KU is technically a diversification of your income. So I wanted to write for KU. So that meant I spent a considerable amount of time on Amazon, uh, looking at the charts, looking at how many books were in KU, how many books weren't, reading books that were in KU, um, uh, looking at covers, authors, their pages, studying um, over time, not just like one random afternoon. I would go on there day after day after day after day for weeks, looking at what was charting. Um, 
And this is really important because I did this across two different areas. So the, the main area that I looked at was fantasy romance. Um, but I knew going in that I wanted to write sapphic fiction. So I would also look at the sapphic, um, all of the different books in the sapphic arena. Now, I'm going to refer to sapphic as a genre. It's not a really a genre. It's a collection of different genres, but with sapphic characters in it. But just for the sake of ease, I'm going to call it sapphic. And importantly, I didn't just look at these books, I read them. I read both sapphic books and I read fantasy romance books. I went and read their blurbs, I read their look insides, and I did kind of a market research analysis on all of that. And what I would do is I would pick out the common tropes. I would pick out like book length, style of writing, pace, the amount of snark the characters had. I'd look at brand colors. I would read reviews. Um, Goodreads, in my honest opinion, is a fucking cesspit for authors. Just don't go there. Um, but, you know, <laughs> if you're reading reviews not on your book, then it's not too bad, right? So I would go and read uh, reviews of all of the authors and the books that I was reading to kind of see and get a feel for what readers like and um, what they were, yeah, what, what they were saying. My conclusion was that I should go heavy on the romance and slightly lighter or at least like make the fantasy more accessible. Fantasy romance is romance predominant. And of course, there is then also romantic fantasy. And that's where the fantasy is the main element. Uh, the romance is more of like a subplot. But for me, I knew I wanted to write romance. The other things that I learned is that to be honest the majority of very good selling sapphic authors are writing contemporary romance. So I knew that was going to be difficult to build an audience. It was going to be more difficult to build an audience than if I'd chosen to go and write contemporary romance. That said, I also knew that a lot of fantasy romance readers actually don't care what type of spice it is. Some do, obviously, but a lot of them I was seeing would read across any type of uh, fantasy romance. If you look at authors like Katie Robert, she writes a lot of queer different types of characters and anyone will, will read them. So there's definitely, I knew there was an audience out there who would accept this type of book. I also knew it was going to be slightly harder. And so I needed to uh, deal with that. The other issue I realised very quickly is that in fantasy romance, the most predominant trope is enemies to lovers. And I knew that's what I wanted to write because it's so full of conflict. It's my favourite trope. It's basically competition. Uh, and so I knew that that was what I wanted to write. But in sapphic fiction, the two most popular tropes are age gap and ice queen. So those two things didn't really marry together, but I chose to veer slightly closer to the fantasy romance elements because that is the larger uh, pool of readers. And I wanted to make sure that I was delivering for them whilst also delivering as much as I could for the sapphic readers. And being sapphic myself, <laughs> I knew that I had a good chance of doing that. So other things that I learned from this market research was that Books in KU are typically, and look, 
I'm about to make a lot of generalizations. There are, of course, a ton of books that will not do this, but uh, just, you know, for the sake of market research, sometimes you do have to make some generalizations or at least generalizations to the niche type of book that you're trying to write. So from the books that I read and the books that I was looking at, in the niche that I wanted to write in, most of them were very pacey. They were very hooky and they were filled with like quotable moments and phrases or like quotable scenes even. I knew my book needed to be voicey. I also realized it needed to be just over into the darker side of romance. Um, though personally, I knew uh, I wasn't going to go anywhere near non-con or dub-con. That wasn't for me. I have no problem with it. Um, I would read dubcon. I'm not sure if I'd read non-con, um, but I just didn't want to write that. What I wanted was it for it to be just over the line into darker. So, you know, power play, maybe a little bit of BDSM, but not anything that is, you know, I don't know, way into the dark side. I also knew both from the Kalytics reports and from looking at the pages on Amazon that most books were around three to 400 pages. And I also realized that the best thing to do was to keep the romance front and center and to keep the plot quite simple and accessible. But that doesn't mean, simple doesn't mean bad, right? It, I don't think simple is a great word choice, but I'm not quite sure uh, what the word choice is. So. The conclusion that I came to was that I was going to marry my favorite trope, enemies to lovers, with a heist. That was it. Those were the two main plot threads. I also decided to make the books episodic standalones. And this isn't actually that common in fantasy romance. And I knew that that was a little bit of a risk because most of the fantasy romances are long running series that you have to read in order. My issue with that is that I don't do slow burn very well. <laughs> Let's blame my activator for that one. But I I don't mind reading slow burn. I quite like reading slow burn, but I can't write slow burn. So I knew that that wasn't, I basically want to, wanted to avoid anything that would drain me. And if I'm not good at it, it's going to drain me. Or if I find it difficult to write, it's going to drain me. So I wanted to just write the thing that is the easiest for me to write, the thing I know the most about, or not know the most about, that's not true, because obviously my wife wasn't an enemy before I loved her um but you know the thing that comes easiest to me that's probably the easiest way to say it um and because I was a little bit burned from my last series where I hadn't done enough planning uh I decided I didn't want to write a, a an ongoing serial type series I wanted standalones each book to be task and finish the other thing that I knew though is that I wanted a way or a hook to get readers from book one to book two. And so I created a cast of characters, obviously the people who were doing the heist, that each character in this group would get a book. And so you'd get these characters spanning the whole series, even though each book was from a different character's point of view. So it's kind of fun because automatically you're getting all these Easter eggs across different series not across different series, across the different books. Um, and this also has given me the opportunity in the wiggle room to create a bigger universe. So in the book, there are like the, the city that we're in is called New Imperium. And in book two, I'm already seeding references to other, other cities and those other cities will become 
new series so it's going to be like easter eggs and crossovers and i will bring characters in um to to um for for readers who span across so as you know i had also spent last year or a lot of last year collecting data on how long writing took me and also using strengths coaching to change up my processes and so i knew before I started writing, how to outline sufficiently that I could write quickly through a book and approximately how long everything would take. So I managed to schedule in like a three week period for the first draft or or I say three weeks, I think it was technically four because I work four day weeks on my stuff. So um, I it, it was four but three working weeks essentially, uh, which I scheduled and I cleared the deck. So I made sure I didn't really have anything else that needed doing or anything else major. Um, and it took me about the same amount of time to edit the book. So it was about six weeks in total. I also had a beta reader and that turnaround took just a couple of days, which really surprised me. I wasn't expecting that, but um, my beta reader said uh, that they couldn't put the book down. So that's obviously great. The other things um, that I did in terms of beta readers is I did actually decide to only have one. The whole point of this um, experiment was that I didn't want loads of voices telling me things about the story. I wanted to write the story that I wanted to write and I didn't give a shit what anybody else said. I just wanted to write a story completely and utterly uh, for me. You know, as I've said a million times, that was the most fun. So uh, where before I have had multiple beta readers, I did take the risk, I suppose you could say, that I was only going to have one. Other things that I did was that I knew I wrote best in sprint periods and uh, usually with other people as well. So I wrote most of the book in owrite.co, which is a website where you can go into a collective web room. You can't see what anybody else is writing, but you can see their word counts going up. And obviously as a competitive person, whilst I wasn't really competing against their word counts, just seeing people be focused and deliver work and words made me want to deliver work and words. So that really helps to focus me. And it's something that I need to make sure I have uh, in place going forward as well. That's definitely a lesson that I feel was repeated in January of this year when I was trying to, when I first started writing book two. Um, and, And with how much I struggled not having people always first thing in the morning in the UK time. So if anybody is like somebody who writes a lot and is often on deadline and very serious about getting words, Uh, and they would like to sprint, please do let me know because I am always in desperate need of people who can sprint, you know, between 9am and and lunchtime UK time and who would be happy to sprint in Owright, especially from the 20th of Feb as well. So if you're around from the 20th of Feb, I'd really like that. I don't use Zoom. I find Zoom draining. I don't want to sprint on Zoom and I'm not really there for chit chat. I'm there kind of just to, you know, smash out words and but collectively do that with other people. So yeah, that is some Something that I need and I need to make sure that is in place in order for me to write fast enough. And the other reason is because if I don't write fast, I slow down and start questioning things and I start overcomplicating and I start second guessing myself and that does not lead to a great book. So I, yeah, that I definitely have learned that I write the best when I write quickly because <laughs> I don't have time to self-doubt myself is basically the summary. 
Okay, so business infrastructure. Webs this, this includes websites, mailing lists, and autoresponders. I was utterly, utterly resolute on the fact that this time I won't, wouldn't be publishing a book without a reader magnet. I did that for the Keepers series and fuck me, it took me forever to get a uh, reader magnet and I definitely think I lost out the opportunity to build a mailing list early on, which is ridiculous really because I absolutely had a reader magnet in place for my non-fiction. So what I did do was I made sure I had a mailing list before launch and an autoresponder sequence before launch and I also wanted a website. However, these were minimum viable and I didn't want to spend stacks and stacks of time, even though they did take stacks and stacks of time, I didn't want to spend any more time doing it. So. I definitely made the minimum viable. Uh, I set up my new website, which is rubyrow.co.uk, and obviously that's linked in the show notes, and I connected it to MailerLite in order to collect email addresses. I used very few plugins because the book's going into KU, there's no point having a, a shop on the site. So it is kind of just a more brochure site, but and also one to help collect uh, reader readers. I set up a redirect as well, uh, sorry, a redirect plugin so that I can create easy, you know, repeatable links uh, that I can use, for example, on podcasts. So my sign up link for Ruby Row is rubyrow.co.uk forward slash sign up, which is very memorable and much better than, you know, some mailer like dashboard, like <laughs> weird concoction of letters and numbers. I dropped a theme over the WordPress site and to be honest with you, I had already paid for Studio Press for my main Sasha Black website. So I just used the same theme because why buy a new one? I wanted to keep costs low. I created a books page, an about page and a contact form and the home page and that is it. There is nothing else on there. I slightly regret the contact form because there's an awful lot of junk mail coming through. So I may take that off, but obviously, uh, you know, contact pages are useful as well. So I'm, I've left it for now. I had thought that I would be able to keep my keep the Ruby Row mailing list inside the Sasha Black existing one so that I didn't have to have two different accounts. But um, from my findings, it doesn't look like you can do that. Uh, you can only have one website attached to the account. So I did end up creating a second account. So that is $10 a month additional than I was expecting. You can have a free MailerLite account, but I wanted some of the features uh, that come from the paid account. So I've gone for the minimum lowest uh, amount. And I also created an embedded form. So there's one that pops up on my website and then like a flat one, which is the one that I'm using, uh, you know, for, for signups. One of my biggest regrets is that I tried to join lots of mailing list builders uh, in advance of this launch. And for one reason or another, I tried to join one of the BookSweep ones and I'd sent a question and by the time they responded to me, the uh, mailing list builder was already full. So I missed out on that one. I did join Book Queendom, which is a mailing list builder a bit like uh, BookSweeps. But at the time of recording this on the day before launch, the, the, the promo isn't finished. So I can't tell you what the results are like on that. Now, one thing I will say is that because this is a mailing list builder, I know that the uh, subscribers won't be as uh, warm 
as people that come from other uh, uh, methods or more organic methods. So I will be segmenting them and putting them into a group because the ones that I am getting that are organic, of course, are the highest quality subscribers. So on the mailing list stuff, I did reread Tammy Labreck's books, both of them, The Newsletter Ninja and I can't remember whatever book two is called. And I set up a series of five autoresponders. They're very minimum viable, just a handful, a little bit about me, a little bit about the book um, and some freebies. And, and that's about it. Now, as I type this, as I type this, as I speak this, I have added a sixth email. Um, and that's because the pre-order for book two has now gone live. And I wanted to make sure that even if I forget to send a main email about it, which I won't obviously, but you know, even if I am not ready to do that for a while, I have set that up to go out in several weeks time so that um, even before I start heavily promoting the sequel, uh, the autoresponder is going to do that for me. What else did I do? All right, so on Reader Magnets, this was like the big deal for me because I'd fucked it royally up the first time and I just was so adamant I was not going to launch anything without a Reader Magnet this time. And for me, one of the best lessons I've learned this time is that I accidentally included the sign-up link in the back of the ARC copy. Now, <laughs> I did this just purely because I was trying to be organised. At the time the ARCs were going out, or just before the ARCs were going out, I'd set up the mailing list. What I hadn't done, though, was set up any of the autoresponders. I hadn't connected the reader magnets. Um, but I didn't really think anything of it. Like, I just assumed ARC readers were just ARC readers and they wouldn't want to sign up for anything like that. But, oh, how I was wrong! <laughs> Um, I didn't even go into the mailing list system until I was almost ready to uh, set up the autoresponders. And when I went in, I panicked because there were people in there. And of course, the sign up says you're going to get a prequel or actually in the back of the book. So there's two different reader magnets. The first one is a warm reader magnet, and that is for anybody who gets to the end of the book. Then I have written a bonus spicy sort of HEA scene. I've seen lots of authors doing this. It's like basically an extra epilogue. Uh, so I knew that was a good strategy. And that was about four or 5,000 words, I think. It was essentially two chapters, one from each character's point of view. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it, my new word is smutalog. So as opposed to an epilogue, it's a smutalog. Get it? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a poor. Idea, but anyway, let's move on. So um, yeah, I set up a smutalog. So that was for the readers who got to the end. The cold reader magnet, which is the one that I'm going to use mostly to uh, list build, is a prequel. I think I've mentioned this already, but you know, we're half an hour in, I can't remember what I've said. So anyway, this is, it ended up around 16,000 words. It's the meet cute, it's how the couple became enemies, how they fought and fucked. And so what I have promoted this on social media, not a huge amount, but I will be promoting this for the foreseeable future. Um, and my intention is to use this as a giveaway as well and to, you know, investigate story origin and book funnel and see if there are any sapphic kind of giveaway thingies that I can uh, do there. So that is what I will be doing. Will I use it with Facebook ads? Mm, not sure, if I'm honest. I, d I don't know. I have been told that 
LGBT things don't do great on Facebook. There's still quite a lot of homophobia. So I'm a little bit hesitant and nervous, if I'm honest, because I don't really want to open myself up to homophobia, if I can avoid it, uh, any more than I have anyway. Um, and so... Yes, I'm not sure. So that is, I guess, something for me to still to investigate. Okay, I also created a bundle page in BookFunnel for existing readers. There are some other digital goodies that I have threaded through the autoresponder sequence. And I wanted an easy, like, central place that in my normal going out monthly mailing list emails, I could just have it at the bottom and point to that page and say, if you missed any of this stuff, go get it. So that's what I've done. I created the bundle page. I've got an image that goes out in the bottom of my um, normal mailing list emails. And so they will be able to get those if they've missed it in the autoresponders or for whatever reason, then, then that's like a an organized way for me to not have to manually send stuff out later on. Okay, branding and platform. I worked with my sister to create a logo, a Ruby Row logo and a branding palette. She uh, has done graphic design. She She's not a graphic designer, but she has worked for an illustration company and done graphic design and she's incredibly arty. So she chose the colors for the kind of brand uh, for Ruby Row based on like the mood and emotions that I wanted to evoke. And like my, <laughs> my kind of phrase, I suppose, for this whole thing is sapphic sex and sarcasm and she created two versions of the logo one like flat cl cleaner version uh, for the book spines and one more decorative version for like the website and stuff later on or graphics I then installed the branding palette into Canva so that I had easy access to all of the colors for social media asset creation so that was like another way to uh, make my life easier I also very, very intentionally made the decision to only have one social media uh, for this platform and for this name. I did not want to have to produce content for all the different socials. I did, however, go and claim my Facebook and Instagram handles because I didn't want anybody else to claim them and then you know, pretend to be me or, or whatever. I don't know. I just claimed them just in case. I have found that Instagram's had a shitload of followers. Uh, but on my profile on Instagram for Ruby Row, I have directed people back to Sasha Black. Whether or not um, that works, I don't know. The other thing actually, which just as I am talking to you, I have realized I haven't done a post. So I am going to do a post today, uh, like a text post for the, the main profile page that says go go follow Sasha, essentially. Um, because the main profile is TikTok and I've got no interest in having to recreate content on multiple platforms. This is all about making this as easy as possible for me. The one place I haven't claimed a profile is Twitter. I have more or less left Twitter. I have my Sasha Black account, but I don't use it. I go on there very infrequently and I have no intention of using it for Ruby. The reason I chose TikTok is uh, sort of twofold. The first thing is that it is booming for spicy books and especially romance. Well, I don't know that there's any type of spicy book that isn't romance, but anyway, it booms for spicy romance. The second reason is that TikTok feels like the friendliest space for queer people and I just 
really needed that. Like I, you know, I know that being a queer author, I'm going to come under fire and that's fine. But, you know, I wanted to choose the safest spaces that I could. So I spent time on TikTok looking at what others did, both as readers and authors. I actually had a couple of full starts. I signed up, set up two different Sasha Black accounts, and then I had another author name uh, that I was going to use, and then I decided to use Ruby Row instead, so I deleted that account. Also, the interesting thing for me is that I had that account for a little while and I didn't get above a couple of hundred followers. Um, So obviously I wasn't, I'd sort of gone on without much of a strategy. And I think that really showed, uh, especially because of the numbers now. I would say it took me about five days to a week to train TikTok to show me what I wanted. And I did that by doing a lot of searches. So I would go in and search for (laughs) lesbian thirst traps, best things ever, by the way. Or I would go in and search for book talk, or I'd search for fantasy romance or sapphic books. And yeah, I would say it took about a week for it to train the platform, me going on a few times a day and, and doing that. I made a very conscious decision that I was going to create a content plan for TikTok, uh, stacked full of ideas of what I could post every day for the month running up to the book launch with, so I guess it was about 30 ideas that I put down. I made that plan and then I promptly ignored it. (laughs) I found that just by spending time on the platform, I actually came up with better ideas on the fly. And I think the reason for that is a lot of TikTok is led by the sound choices you make. And there's not really any way to predict that in advance. Of course, there were a couple of things like knowing I wanted to do a reel that was, that said, that goes something along the lines of um, convincing you to, to read a game of hearts and heists based on the aesthetic. And then you do a load of flashing images of like the different uh, aesthetics, like, yeah, images. So I did do some of those, but for the most part, I made the content plan and then ignored it. I think it was more of a comfort thing, like reassuring me that I had a backup of ideas in case I ran out. I did have a couple of days where I would batch TikTok drafts. So I'd do about 10 videos or I'd do as many as I could uh, for the days when I was tired. And I definitely used up those stores of uh, videos as well. That was really handy for the days where I was quite sick. My goal was to hit 1,000 followers as fast as possible on TikTok so that I could get the link in the profile. If you have a personal account, which is what I've gone with just at the moment, then you can't get a a link linking people out anywhere off TikTok until you have 1,000 followers. I started using TikTok on the 3rd of January and I hit 1,000 followers in about three and a half weeks. And I did that by posting daily, sometimes twice. I also made a key point to go and comment on two to four other people's TikToks every day. So every day I posted, I would then go and, you know, make a comment on a couple of people's posts. I I made very, very sure that I would reply to every single comment on my own profile. I have to say, though, that did become difficult when I had a couple of posts get over 10,000 views because those comments tipped into the hundreds. I did what I could. The other thing that I would say is that their like um, notifications panel 
is a bit messy and so I, I did miss comments and I would find that sometimes when I went back to double check or when somebody had commented on a video that I'd posted a few days ago, I'd go back to that video to reply to the comment and I'd see like three other comments that I'd missed. So, you know, I did my best is the point on that. By the time, well, by today, uh, which is the 9th of February, so the day before launch... <laughs> Sorry, that is my TikTok going nuts. I have managed to gather 1,229 followers. So that's pretty good. That's five weeks, 1,200, well, uh, yeah, 1,230 followers just under in uh, five weeks. I I I'm really pleased with that. I use a Linktree link in my profile because Linktree is one link, but it goes to like a, a web page and then you can direct people to multiple other locations. Does that lose traffic? Possibly because it's an adding in an additional link, but it does mean that I can link out to multiple places. And the link in my profile has had 28 clicks in the first week. And you should note that, well, actually, it's had more than that, but the 28 links are just 28 clicks on the pre-order link. There are more to other places in there. But what I would say is the first two links in my link tree are the most clicked links and therefore people probably don't scroll down. And so if that's just something like lesson learned in terms of the order in which you put stuff in at a later date. The other thing that I will say is I've done nothing to promote that link other than sticking it there. I haven't even mentioned it in a video. What I would say based on when I talked to you about the pre-order data and numbers is that 28 links is not enough to explain the quantity of physical pre-orders I've had. Uh, and given the attrition rate on like clicks to purchases for authors I typically see, I do feel like this means that with TikTok, that the users, especially the BookTok users, are very used to seeing books and then independently going to find and download or purchase those books themselves. I'm sure this is probably old news to most of you who've been on TikTok forever, <laughs> but for me, it's all new uh, lessons learned. The other thing that I would say is that because I noticed that my pre-orders were going up, in particular the physical ones, I would try to stick the cover on my of my book in as many videos as possible, even when it was just me talking. Like, if the book came up, I would stick an image of it in the video. The closer to launch we got, the more I posted, but at a minimum, I was trying to vary the content and not make it all book stuff. And I was trying to post at least one book video and one non-book video every day. There are often things that go round on TikTok like, um, filters uh, or you know like uh, you know how gay are you or whatever and then you like tap a button and it like rates you on the gayometer or whatever and for what it's worth I got 69% and we all know that that's my favorite number <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, that very quickly became a TikTok video um, and okay so I also intentionally started a series of fictional sapphic heroine videos based on lesbian thirst traps that I came across. Like, I love a thirst trap, okay? And I think one of the best ways to get engagement is to create a thing for yourself that people know you for and recognize. And so what I did, one of the very first videos I did 
was uh, duetting and reacting to a uh, a Canadian uh, lumberjack or lumberjill, I think they call them, uh, chopping wood. And I was like, did I just find the next heroine in my sapphic romance novel or whatever? And that fucking video has been the most viewed video of all. And so that's what inspired me to create this series. And so I'm like, episode one, episode two. And I think I've recorded maybe nine now and I've posted maybe six or seven. Um, but people have started tagging me in other like lesbian videos because they want me to react to them or duet them or whatever. And so this is a really great way to, you know, and, and look, when I say people are tagging me, I've had a couple of tags. My account is very new, but this is how it starts. This is always how it starts. And so I want to foster and encourage that engagement. And also I love it because please keep showing me the thirst traps. <laughs> I will watch them all day long. I'm happy to go down that input rabbit hole. So you know, this is another way that you can um, encourage community and, uh, you know, create more of more readers, I suppose. Now, that fucking video. So Wednesday came out on Netflix in and around just before the launch. I think it was like Christmas time, I want to say. I don't know, maybe it was slightly before. But anyway, I got to watching it around Christmas time. And for what it's worth, the fucking Wednesday Adams dancing video that I did, I did it as a bit of a piss take. Like, I don't dance. I'm a shit dancer. But like, you know, everybody, I just kept seeing that. <laughs> I'm so mortified. I kept seeing the Wednesday, uh, people doing this Wednesday dance. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'll do it with my books. So I did. And I literally filmed it in about three minutes. It took a few takes and I have got the outtakes. I know you fucking can't see them. And uh, yeah, so... And that video also got in excess of 10,000 uh, views and that made a difference to the downloads, trust me. I just feel like TikTok is a big hot mess and I'm a big hot mess and so the hottier, messier videos there are, the more they get viewed. And I just, I can't explain it, it's completely random. The other thing that I've learned about TikTok is that you hit about a thousand followers and the algorithm starts to hate you. Uh, and then it becomes very, very random. So like sometimes you'll have loads of views and sometimes you'll have none. But as long as you're kind of consistent, like it always comes back to normal again. Another useful website a couple of people have sent me is snaptick.app. And this is where you can copy the link to a TikTok video and then paste it into that website. And then you can download the video and it removes the, the watermarks. So you can then post it onto Instagram and not be penalized for having posted a TikTok video on Instagram. And I have used this multiple times. Moving on, Instagram book tours. I wanted to book two Instagram tours. However, in the end, the money and the post system in the UK, because we had strikes and then we were hacked and so they shut down international exports, it ended up being a bit of a fucking nightmare. And so I only went, well, I did go with two, but one was free and I wanted to do a second one. So let me get to the point. In the show notes, I have linked to an article that I was sent, which I read, and that article reviews multiple book tours. I chose to go with Paper Myths, also linked in the show notes, because it seemed to be the best value for money and the person who uh, wrote up the review was very positive about it. The other one that I wanted to do was MTMC. 
Now, the reason I discounted that is because they required all paperback copies and I wanted to do 20 and that was going to cost a fortune on top of the fortune it cost for the book tour itself. Um, however, I would do it in the future. I, I would spend the money, but because of um, Ingram's... Ingram, uh, what am I trying to say? So obviously I've just said that the Royal Mail shut down international exports and this was happening just as I was about to pay and sign up for the MTMC tour. And because I was already having difficulty shipping the Paper Myths books, I was just like, I'm out. I'm going to have to bail out on this. Now I could have worked around the problem by going into Ingram's Park and individually shipping like one copy to each person but I'd already spent like 150 pounds printing out books so I didn't want to have to spend that again I worked it out it was about 12 pounds per copy and that was print fee and the postage to do it through Ingram Spark so to do that for 20 people it was going to start costing a lot of money so I made the decision to go with paper myths and that was 200 dollars for a week-long tour and I also went with Nerdy Book Tours, NBB Nerdy Book Tours, and they were free, but I had to wait longer before that tour would start. So that, I can't remember when that tour's starting, but it's not for a while. I, th I feel like it might be April. Okay, the other thing that I did was I spent a lot of time pitching reviewers, and that meant I spent a considerable number of hours on Instagram and TikTok hunting for potential reviewers. I did this by going to authors I knew in the genre, and by that one I mean sapphic books, because at this point I knew uh, that the Instagram tour would probably cover the fantasy aspect of it but I needed sapphic readers also because I wanted to make sure that I had nailed it for sapphic readers anyway so I would go to authors sapphic authors and I would go through the list of people that they followed and see who they were following and you you tend to get a sense of who is a reviewer often it will say things like you know books and tea or books and cats or whatever um and <laughs> the urge to beatbox then because everybody does boots and cats don't they I didn't I I be grateful that I held myself back. Anyway, I had a look through them and would then go to their profiles to see if they were a like an LGBT reviewer. Often they would have rainbows in. So I started to pick up uh, clues as to who would be a reviewer and who wouldn't. I then also searched using hashtags. So I would search like fantasy romance or I would search sapphic books or queer books or anything like that. And I would go and have a look and see like who was posting. I started to see repeated names. And so when I found a reviewer or media type person, I would look at their follow lists. I would look at the types of books on their profile to make sure that mine matched. I mentioned earlier that a lot of sapphic readers only like contemporary romance. And actually I did mess up and I did message one person who I thought would read fantasy. And actually they said, no, I only read contemporary. So that was a lesson learned that actually it was good of me not like to double check and make sure that they did read the right stuff because I did feel bad um, for doing that. Anyway, 
And then I, I just slid into their DMs, to be perfectly honest with you. I tried to make sure that I knew their name so that I could actually address the message to them. And I would do that by either looking on their profile if they didn't have their profile, but they had a website, I'd go to their website and I would look for their name on their about pages and stuff like that. And I'd also do things like checking that they actually took ARCs and I would be as polite as possible. But of course, I'm British, of course I'm going to be polite. When I found people on TikTok, I did have a problem because TikTok doesn't actually let you message just anybody. It's a lot harder to message people than Instagram. So I would check for their email addresses. Quite often book reviewers put their email addresses in their profiles. That was very handy. Or I would try and find them on Instagram. Um, but I will be honest, this was probably the most grueling aspect of the work. And I... I feel like it didn't yield great results. It, it did yield some, and some of those readers have already gone on to be hugely engaged and, you know, tag me and do videos and, and the rest of it. So was it worth it? I, I, think, I think so. I might not put as many hours in next time, I think, just on this particular form. Um... I also found that most TikTokers wanted physical copies. Most of the bigger Instagram reviewers wanted physical copies, but there were a good portion that would accept eBooks. I think this is an increasing trend that, you know, book reviewers don't get paid. And so I think it's an increasing trend that they want paperbacks. And it the problem is it's a considerable cost to indies, but paperbacks make for better graphics and better photos and that's definitely the case on Instagram. At this point I also want to say a huge thank you to Kate Hennessy. Kate is a uh, listener to the show and has been a long-time supporter of me and read an arc of A Game of Hearts and Heist and Kate is also a photographer and she did what I can only describe as the most stunning fucking uh, setup of photos I have ever seen on books. And she did all of these photos, over a hundred photos for me for this launch, completely um, just off her own back. And I don't think I have ever been so humbled in my entire life. I definitely cried when I saw them. And yes, for all of you lot who think I'm dead on the inside, Kate made me cry, okay, she wins. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and so I have been using those photos and I tell you what, it's definitely made a difference because fuck me, I'd buy the book based on the photos anyway. So yes, I'm extremely grateful and I do think that the, they have made a difference because a lot of fantasy romance readers like pretty books, they like physical books and so when you see a pretty photo with a pretty book, you're going to buy the book or at least I'm like that. I will leave a link to Kate's information in the show notes, uh, her photograph information. And if you are following me on Instagram and see any of the lovely pictures, then they're probably Kate's and I have tagged her in everything as well. Okay, moving on. I ran a pre-order incentive, which I absolutely loved and I wanted to win this. <laughs> but I ran a pre-order incentive for anybody who pre-ordered the book, whether in paperback, ebook or hardback. If they sent pre-order proof to an email address, they would receive some goodies in advance. I also had a reader order it from their library and send a screenshot to me uh, of the order from the library. 
And this was a great reminder and lesson learned to me to be more inclusive when I am talking, uh, especially about pre-orders and pre-order incentives, because, hey, ordering it from the library is completely legitimate. And I am more than happy to send you the pre-order goodies and enter you into the giveaway if you order it from the library. So I, and I hadn't actually mentioned that in any of the uh, pre-order incentive promotions. So that was a great reminder to me to be more inclusive. The pre-order incentive included a, a sneak peek look at chapters one to three, which you can't get anywhere else because the look inside isn't up. Uh, it included the ability to sign up for the prequel. Uh, it also included entry into giveaway into a giveaway where you would receive a signed and personalised and hand annotated hardback. So I am going to annotate and put comments in uh, to the book. So it will be a one of a kind stickers, bookmarks. In the book itself, one of the characters has a yes no coin and I actually brought the yes no coin before I wrote the book and decided to write the coin into the book. And because of that, I decided to buy one of the coins and give it away in this pre-order. So uh, you actually get the real coin or whoever wins will get the real coin that is featured in the book itself. I made um, the playlist that I listened to whilst I was writing, uh, I made it accessible on Spotify and I also made a Pinterest mood board uh, accessible, which was secret at the time, but I've now obviously made it open so that people can get a feel for the uh, book. I definitely saw an increase in pre-orders every single time I promoted this incentive. I did that through graphics on Instagram, I did a video on TikTok, and I also put it in my mailing list as well. And I put it in my stories. And for sure, I saw an increase in pre-orders every time, which was interesting because I just kind of expected an increase in in pre-order emails, but no, the increase came from uh, like promoting the pre-order incentive. Uh, and I will, yeah, so, so there was that. Okay, on to the book cover. I made the choice going into this that I did not want an overtly queer cover. Now, you can argue either way, you know, you should have two women on the front or or not. And there is a whole thing about having discrete covers. I wanted my book, I wanted anybody to be able to read this book, even if they, you know, were couldn't, if they're not in a place where it's safe to do that. So I lent into the fantasy romance style cover also because like ultimately fantasy romance is the bigger genre and I just don't really like people on covers. <laughs> so for me, it felt like an easy choice. For the first time ever, I also paid extra to have under the cover art. I did this because fantasy romance readers do like pretty books and they do like hardcovers. And to be honest with you, I did not expect anybody to ever buy the hardcover, but they did. <laughs> uh, and so I'm really glad that I made it pretty. And I also think this helped with TikTok because for all of the reasons I've said, TikTokers like to wave a physical book around in the video. And so having pretty hardcovers helps. I analysed all of the big selling covers in the genre and checked the Kalytics report because they often, not often, they always have a big, uh, you know, mood board of all of the covers and they look at the type of covers and tell you which ones sell and which ones are most popular and popularity in, yeah, yeah, just get the Kalytics report and you'll see. I took the most popular covers that I really liked and used and sent them to the designer as comps. 
uh, to ensure that like there were similar elements so that the book cover could be placed inside the genre easily. And hey presto, I got my cover. <laughs> now, tropes. This was another thing that feels like a really great lesson for me. I think I knew it. I don't know if it's a lesson or if I, I sort of knew anyway, but using tropes in marketing has been such a good move for me. I use them in a variety of ways. And the first one is baking it into the book. I started with tropes. I knew I wanted to write enemies to lovers. The minute you say enemies to lovers to a reader, they know exactly the kind of book that they're going to get. But I use tropes in a variety of ways, including um, like using them in the blurbs, putting them on Instagram uh, with the book in the middle and then sort of arrows to all the different tropes. I would use them in captions on social media. I would put the uh, big tropes and mini tropes in TikTok videos with the books and it made it so much easier easier to market the book. You can point to a thing, a thing being a trope, and say, if you like this, you'll love this book. Like it honestly makes it so much easier to be able to explain what the book is as well. And that that is a real lesson to me is the simplicity of, like when I talk about my first series, I can't really tell you what it's about. It's kind of like second world, but also portal fantasy because there are moments in like London and then there's like shifters and elementals and blah, blah, blah. And you know, and, and I can't really tell you what the story is about. I mean, it's about fate and who can who controls your fate, but you know, I can't, it's not as easy to explain as, well, this is an assassin versus a poisoner, enemies to lovers, spicy romance with a heist, right? That is so much clearer and simpler. You know exactly what you're gonna get with that. Onto Facebook groups. I hunted high and low for Facebook reader groups specific to sapphic fiction, and I found a real mixed bag. Most of the groups didn't actually get a huge amount of engagement, which I'd kind of been led to think that Facebook was the place for sapphic readers, but I'm not sure it is, you know. I didn't the thing is also I hate Facebook and I didn't really want to spend lots of time on the platform or building up good karma in Facebook groups because I'm not a fan of Facebook and I don't use Facebook. I don't use it personally. So I decided to just ask for advanced readers in a lesfic group that is specifically for ARC readers and I got a exceptional response. I couldn't believe how many people um, said yes and have helped out. The only downside to that is you kind of have to manage that process through Facebook DMs, which has meant that I've needed to keep a list of people that I need to go back and contact tomorrow to say, oh, you know, look, the, bu the book is out. Would you mind leaving the review on Amazon? And that I don't really I don't really enjoy stuff like that. OK, other forms of marketing. We are rocking towards the end now iHeartSaphic is a sapphic website for readers and author services, but there are a ton of other, like there's the fantasy romance shelf and like, you know, there are specific websites that cater to niche 
uh, genres and if you just do some googling you will find them or you ask around or you ask other authors you will find them I Heart Sapphic is brilliant and they run a fucking shocking amount of uh, free promotional opportunities. I couldn't believe how uh, impressive the, the number of opportunities there are for Sapphic authors. And actually, as a result, I have invited Miranda and TV onto the show to talk about what they do because they are so generous with their support for um, authors and in particular new releases, whether you're a new author or a seasoned one. You, there are like... Uh, author spotlights and they're running an anthology and all kinds of things so I applied to be in their database and for all of the free opportunities as well as I have also paid $40 for a month of promotion with them I applied to myqueersapphic.com, which is touted as the Sapphic book bub. And if I get a place, that will be $15. But at the time of talking about this, I haven't heard back from them. I applied to be in various book boxes as well, like specifically queer ones. I mean, if you write fantasy, I would apply to fancy ones or crime ones or whatever. One did come back to me, but they wanted me to pay for a new cover, like an exclusive cover to be in the book box. So at the moment, I haven't responded to that because I'm trying to keep costs low. And if the book doesn't make money, I won't be doing an audiobook and I won't be doing, you know, I won't be doing extra covers or special editions or anything like that. Jay uh, is a sapphic author who runs a ton of collaborations and promotions for new authors. So I also uh, applied and worked with Jay. Jay is incredible, extremely generous, along with TB and Miranda. Uh, so I have been in her blind date with a book and uh, book bingo campaigns. And one of them, I think it was the blind date one, I ran a giveaway as well for a physical copy. And that garnered a huge, like in the hundreds of numbers of people who applied uh, for that giveaway. So that was fantastic. I reached out to a number of sapphic authors. <laughs> I reached out to a number of sapphic authors I knew or knew of, some I had never had contact with. So this isn't like I just knew everybody. No, I had to shit my pants, not literally, and you know pull up my big girl panties and contact people that I didn't know. Some of these contacts proved to be more open and engaging than others. Uh, some offered help, advice. JJ came on the show and interviewed me. And, you know, with others, the conversation just died. But you can expect that. You can't be friends with everybody. Okay, last but by no means least... Six days out from launch, I set up uh, five AMS ads on the US store and five AMS ads on the UK store. Uh, each one with only a small hyper-targeted selection of target, a uh, selection of like keywords and targets. I'm actually not gonna go into any more detail on this, not because I don't want to tell you, but because I'm not an ads expert and I don't want to give out uh, any misinformation on this. And also to be perfectly frank, a friend is leading me through this because the <laughs> strategy I've used with AMS ads for nonfiction has been more like a smash and grab, just chuck them out and see what happens type of uh, methodology. So total spend. $200 on the Paper Myths book tour, $250 on the cover, $256 on edits, 150 English pounds and 35 English pounds on printing and shipping, 
$100 to book Queendom, $40 to iHeart Sapphic. I outsourced some caption writing for social media. That was 100 English pounds. The Kalytics report was $37. So I converted that a couple of days ago. And so based on those currency conversions, it came to a total of 814 pounds. I do have the ongoing mailer light of $10 a month, which is now uh, obviously an ongoing cost. And I have the website annual costs, which are just over 100 quid, I think. For me, £814 seems pretty reasonable for the amount of marketing I've done, for the uh, for the amount of um, stuff that I have managed to get for that. I was really quite pleased with that. I had to do my research to find, you know, cover designers that, that were in my price range. I, you know, edits as well. Actually, I had a big fuck up with edits. I had basically not left enough time to book an editor and so that was a big mistake on my behalf and so I had to go around and use a different method for editing. Um, so I am now trying to book in with editors much longer in advance but £814 was me trying to do this on as much of a budget as possible. Did I have to spend that much on print copies or the book queendom or the this or the, the that? No. But I do think this was a really solid, and based on the results, this feels like a good amount of money. I'm sure there are other people who could get it cheaper. I'm sure there are other people who would spend a lot more money. But £814 is the amount that I am looking to recoup and then some more because please, I would very much like to um, <laughs> make some money with this. Okay, so what worked in summary? I hate to say it, but TikTok. Every single time I would post a TikTok, I would see two, four, six digital pre-orders within four to eight hours of having posted it. I obviously didn't see the physical orders come through until later, but the quantity of physical pre-orders I had was extremely abnormal for fiction. My, my other fiction, you know, hasn't done anywhere even close to that. And in fact, you know, some of these physical pre-orders have outsold some of the physical books because like I said, my first fiction series flopped completely because I didn't write it to reader. What I would say is that this has made me consider whether or not I've priced correctly as I would prefer to do a Amazon pre-order rather than Ingram because Amazon, you earn, well, I earn more per copy than Ingram. That said, in, obviously I would always do Ingram as well because Ingram then puts you in stores like Waterstones or Book Depository where, you know, other people get Barnes & Noble, for example, so you can get access to other people, especially because this book is going into KU. It, the other thing I would say is that because of the number of pre-orders, I have questioned whether, especially the number of physical pre-orders, I have questioned whether this was the right strategy. I created the book specifically for KU and because I don't have KU data and I can't see what happens with KU until tomorrow and then, you know, the, the coming weeks, I can't actually make any firm conclusions, but my gut hypothesizes that TikTok is enabling me to access different readers. And I really do feel like these are different readers. My suspicion is that the amount of um, paperbacks that have gone, that have sold, won't actually cannibalize the potential for KU page reads. But like I say, this is a hypothesis. And until it goes live, I can't actually, you know, give any firm data on that.
The other thing that worked was using tropes in the marketing and baking that into the book. It, like I said earlier, it helps me make, it helped me feel like the marketing was easier and that made me want to do it more because, you know, it wasn't as hard as I'd made it in the past. I knew exactly what to say about the book. I knew how to describe it. That makes it a lot easier to write captions or do videos or whatever. The other thing that I would say is that having the experience that I have in the industry has made this considerably easier. Although theoretically I was a new author, I've actually been publishing a really long time. And so while I had a lot of tasks to do, I had a strategy, I had a plan, and that made it so much easier to execute because I wasn't having to learn how to do everything at the same time as doing it. While I was technically new, I'm a new author with experience. And so that, you know, I can't discount the fact that I've got all of that experience and I did know what I was doing. So this is not, if you are a new author and you are starting this year, while if you are looking to go into the same genre or you know you're wanting to take some principles from this please do but also remember that i am it's not comparing apples to apples i don't want people to get comparisonitis or whatever yeah i'm just trying to be nice and helpful here uh okay i made a conscious decision to target a big genre which was the fantasy romance whilst niching myself into the lgbt end of it this required me to give and take on you know And that's why I made such deliberate choices about tropes, about branding, about packaging, in order to get as close to what I thought the market wanted as possible. And I don't think I could have done that and landed this launch the way that I have without the amount of market research that I've done. What didn't work? For me, it's less about what didn't work and more that I ran out of time. I would very much like to have been part of more mailing list builders. I would have liked to have taken more time to promote the prequel. I missed out on book sweeps by the skin of my teeth. And then honestly, the closer we got to the end of um, the launch, I just ran out of time and energy to, um, to, to do that. I also found it a lot harder to garner reviewers than I'd anticipated. I think I took for granted that because I have an established platform as Sasha Black, it is actually considerably easier to get reviewers. So I think if I were to do it again, I definitely would build uh, TikTok for longer and probably use that platform to help build um, a community of ARC readers. That said, between the Bookstagram tour and the Facebook groups and my existing mailing list, there were definitely enough options. The last thing that I ran out of time to do was set up a street team, which I have tried to do many, many times before. This time, I think because I was sick, the thought of managing a group of people on top of everything else was just too much for me. I don't really feel like it impacted me this time either. It could have helped mushroom the awareness that has already built. And I do think I will try that for book two, but I don't think, uh, I don't think I have suffered for not having one this time. And that was interesting for me because I definitely feel like my nonfiction benefits from a bigger launch. Okay, so on to the results. As of uh, Thursday, uh, the 9th of February, I managed to give away 101 ARC copies, uh, digital ARC copies, so I hit my goal by one. (laughs) Hey, a win is a fucking win, baby. I don't care if it was by one point or 10 points or 100 points, I won. 
um, and I gave away seven physical arcs. So I still have a stock of arc uh, copies. Uh, and I say arc because there were a couple of typos left <clears throat> in that version that got changed but before the book went to print for the publishing date. So I don't know what I'm going to do with those now because obviously I didn't do the book tour, the second book tour. I will probably use them for uh, signed copies or giveaways uh, because, yeah, over the next few months. Okay, on to the results. We've already done the ARC copies and the physical copies, so I'm now going to tell you the ebook and paperback and hardback pre-orders. Bear in mind that we are um, on, it is, as literally as I speak to you, it is 2.43pm in the afternoon on Thursday the 9th of February. So it won't be until I think 8 a.m. my time tomorrow that pre-orders will shut because that will be when the day ticks over on Amazon's. But, you know, we are as close, damn it, to the end of the pre-order period as possible. So I'm going to give you the numbers as they stand now. On hardback copies, I had 34 pre-orders of the hardback, which for a book that's $18.99, I was fucking shocked about. I didn't expect to get any hardback pre-orders. Paperback pre-orders, I had 110. Now, between you and me, <laughs> look at me saying that as if this is secret. Um, I put the paperback live this morning I think or was it yes no last night I think it went live and uh, I put sorry so to explain the pre-orders for the paperback were all done through Ingram Spark the paperback though I have also loaded onto Amazon KDP print and I put that live last night so I woke up this morning and it was live and that was because you know you I want them live in both places and today I've already had 13 orders of that so I don't really know whether to add that to the pre-orders or whether to leave that separate but given it's not tomorrow I'm inclined to add that onto the pre-order I don't know but that seems like a lot of copies no let's not include those today, I will just do the numbers in the Ingram dashboard. So I've had 110 paperback orders and 34 hardbacks, which is 144 in total. On digital pre-orders, I am up to 174 pre-orders digitally, which gives me a total of 318 pre-orders. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you, but that feels like a reasonable number for a completely unknown name with an untested, untried pen name. I was kind of pleased with that. And as you know, my original goal was 33, <laughs> which seems fucking stupid now. <laughs> Genuinely, I didn't think I was going to get more than 33 pre-orders. I'm actually honestly fucking astounded. I don't know who you are who's pre-ordered all these copies, but I'm so fucking grateful to you. It's like, I actually can't put it into words. I'm astounded. I'm grateful. I'm like, I'm literally giddy. I Just thank you so much to whoever you are, 318 people of you who have ordered copies. I'm like ridiculously happy and, and very excited. 
Um, of course, I've got no KU data. I can't tell you what this is going to do. Um, but I mean, this has given me hope. It's definitely given me hope. The fact that I have had 318 in total. One thing that... One thing that I am slightly nervous about is the number of physical to digital pre-orders. I did the math and 45.2% of the pre-orders were physical. That seems monstrously high for a indie author. I mean, <laughs> I don't know anybody who gets that many paperback orders, so I don't really know what happened there I don't know if I've made a mistake I don't, well I know I haven't made a mistake but what I mean is like in strategy wise like well I I don't even I guess it's TikTok that's the only thing I can attribute it to is TikTok um but it does make me wonder about strategy going forward so there we have it, 318 pre-orders, 814 pounds spent. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm excited. Oh, one last thing. One last thing that I have done is that I have already put up book two for pre-order. And I am hoping that by doing that before the launch of book one, it will encourage people to pre-order the second book. Um, as it stands, you know, I haven't told anybody at all. I haven't mentioned it anywhere. Uh, I've just put it up and I've had seven pre-orders and I, I'm going to assume that probably one of those is my mum. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to assume that uh, the rest are probably friends or people who have read ARCs and realise that the second book is out. I don't know, but it's, you know, I'm not going to cry about that. So at the moment, I've put a very long pre-order up and Put it for September, but I am hoping to bring that up uh, to early summer or late summer. I don't know, but earlier than that. So there we have it. I hope you have found this lessons learnt uh, helpful. If you have questions, then I don't know. I'm hoping I've answered them all. But if you have got questions, uh, free feel to feel free to contact me, and I'll do my best after this craziness. Uh, is over to answer them or drop them into Instagram, direct message me and I'll do my best to answer them. Okay, that's it. If you haven't got your copy, the fuck are you waiting for? You know you want to read some smut on your Sunday. Uh, go read it. It is a fun, spicy romp full of angst and drama and lesbians and women who are kick-ass with swords and knives and stabby and poisons and all the rest of it. And um, to everybody who has supported me, thank you. Thank you so much. I don't know that this episode is enough to repay my debt of gratitude, but thank you. I, I really, really appreciate you. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.